0: Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord as recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. When he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece, and there he spent three months and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came to them at Troas within five days, and there we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the window sill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep, and fell down from the third floor, and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak, and then left. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. But we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Assos, intending from there to take Paul on board, for so he had arranged it intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the day following we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. This is the word of the Lord.
1: again. Good morning, brothers and sisters. If you're here and you're a visitor, we want to thank you for choosing to worship with us today. Uh, We pray that God's hand of blessing will be upon you as you interact with us, his body here at Bethel, as well as his word. Um, It is uh, important for us to note that the apostle Paul here in chapter 20 is going to uh, dive into some personal areas of ministry, more so next week uh, than, than this week, what we're going to begin to see some things about who, who this man is. Um, we, we've talked a lot about him during these this, now his third missionary journey, but Paul's going to reiterate some things that I think it's really helpful, us to, helpful for us to, to try to understand about the man. And I pray that we don't see him or view him as, as, as something distant or, so, or something so incredibly different than, than who we are. In the sense that the same spirit and the same challenge and charge that, that Paul is given, we in a sense are, are given as well. Now, I'm not saying that you should go out and change the title of your name to Apostle. Or anything like that. But what I am saying is that the apostle Paul does some pretty great things, uh, through his life, which is totally surrendered to God. So for the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about this whole idea of being totally surrendered and what, what that means. And what we'll see in this specific passage is that Paul gives us an excellent example of what it means to be totally surrendered to God. I think what might help us, if you've got your Bible still there in chapter 20, go to chart verse 24 of that same chapter, and I think it will give us precious insight into Paul's psyche, in, in, into his, his really goal and aim for ministry. Uh, it, it's funny, as a former Christian Bible school teacher and seen a bunch of life verses in my day I've never seen anyone use this verse as a life verse uh, to say hey this is what to, this is the goal and the aim of my life uh, maybe we ought take note and change some of our change some of our verses look at what Paul says about himself but i do not consider my life of any account we might say in our current world Paul has a self esteem issue Paul you should care about your life Paul you should be concerned with your welfare and your well-being, it's not what he is thinking. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Maybe we'd say in our modern-day vernacular, it's not about me. Well, why, Paul? What, what is your goal? So that I may finish my course, may finish my ministry, which I received not from the Apostle Peter or those who I interacted with, but from who? The Lord Jesus my my goal and my aim is not to worry about myself. I want to finish my course, my ministry, which I got from the Lord Jesus Christ, to solemnly, to testify solemnly of the gospel of grace of God. Paul's totally surrendered. He has completely abandoned whatever thoughts, whatever plans he had for his life. Now I want you to think about if you think about the course of Paul's life. He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Circumcised on the seventh day, he is a man to be emulated. Paul was on his way somewhere. He, he, he was surpassing all his rivals. Paul was going to be the man. But as he meets the risen Savior on that road to Damascus, his life has been forever changed. He has totally abandoned his own dreams and desires. Some of you know I celebrated a birthday this week. By the way, thank you for the cards, but I I do want to make note, I won't embarrass the person who sits on this side in one of the closer rows. It was super special. This person called me and sang me happy birthday. And I'm welling up in tears and like, yeah, the big tough guy like me. And it was very thankful. I'm very thankful for that. Very humble that God's people love me like that. Paul understands the great love that we are to have for one another, but he wants to extend that to others. It's, his life isn't about him. It's not about me. And the older we get, the older I get, I think about the dreams and the things that I haven't accomplished. And I could say, I don't have my Mustang. I don't have this. I don't have that. And you could look back at your life and say, ah, What a waste. That's not the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul had abandoned his life and said, I want to live my life for another. Remind you of what he tells Timothy. No soldier entangles himself in the affairs of his own life. That soldier seeks to please the one who has enlisted him. That's Paul's life. That's what he calls Timothy to do. That's what he's all about. Others. The ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the course that the Lord had given for him. Well, what drove that? What drove Paul to be at that place of such unfailing commitment, surrender to Lord Jesus Christ? One commentator says these words, and I quote, it must be love. Love for the Lord, love for the truth, love for the church, not the organization, but the people. Such love flowing from devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God marks all who exercise noble leadership in the church. What drove Paul to a place of complete surrender, total surrender of his own desires and whims, his love for the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for others? Wow, we've heard that before when the Lord Jesus Christ says, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God and your neighbor as yourself. Paul is completely committed committed to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this text, I want to identify just two points, which for me is very small. Two points about the surrender that we see in Paul. Number one, we see that Paul is surrendered to the work of God. And we see that in verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 16. I, I won't read all those passages, but needless to say... Paul was a traveling man. We might say as the old song, Lord, I was born a rambling man. Some of you don't know 70s rock and roll. That's okay. Paul, needless to say, got frequent flyer miles. Now, he wasn't flying, but Paul, we believe, on this third missionary journey, which started in Antioch, traveled some 1,500 miles. The majority of it, we believe, maybe around 900 miles or 1,000 miles by sea. Now, that's when the brother man would have had to step out of the plan for his life. I do not do water like that. Maybe a puddle or two I'll jump over. But by sea, and we're told, and we'll look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul was shipwrecked three times. Now, the first time, I'm like, Lord, this isn't your plan for me. I'm a landlocked kind of guy. Paul is completely given by the grace of God to geographically challenge himself physically to go wherever. In this particular journey, he desires to go to Macedonia, Acacia, and to Jerusalem. He will find his way to Jerusalem. He desires to go to Rome, as we made comment a few weeks ago. Remember, he's going to go to Rome, but he's not going to go the way that maybe we think he should. He's going to be an ambassador in, in chains. He's going to go under arrest. And in, here in Acts chapter 20, we see that he is going to uh, start his Macedonian journey. He's going to go to Acacia uh, and he's going to find his way. And I can't wait to get to 17 through the end of the chapter. He's going to find his way back in Mountus and he's going to be meeting with the Ephesian elders and he's going to dialogue with them. And that is some of the most heart wrenching things uh, that Paul is going to say. And I want you to think about just in advance for that. Paul's like he being told you're going to go and you're, you're going to die. And he's saying farewell to friends and just man, just just let that marinate as we consider that Lord by his grace next week. We'll we'll cover that. But in this section, we see Paul's pattern of ministry that we've really seen throughout. What does he do? He establishes churches. And when he goes on missionary journeys, he goes back around to visit all those churches was why? Why does Paul want to do that? He he doesn't want to do it to simply gain any kudos for himself and to go back and bask in boy look what I've created because there's all these little First Church of Pauls around. No, it's not why he's going. He is going for for one main reason, and we see it in the text to encourage other believers. Secondly, he's going to these churches in Greece and Macedonia and Acacia, and he's headed to Jerusalem because he's taking an offering. To the Jerusalem saints. He spends time with other believers for the main reason to encourage and strengthen believers. Now I want you to think about why you came here this morning. I I, I wonder how many of us said, I can't wait to get to church so I can encourage someone else. I am so thankful that the Lord is sending me to his house with his people to strengthen other people. I, I wonder if that was on our minds. I wonder if that's been our goal or our aim as Christians to encourage others. Paul's desire here, we're told in the text, he's from the very beginning, even before he leaves Ephesus there in verse one, he sends for the disciple and he, disciples, and he exhorts them. He encourages them as he gets into Macedonia in chapter two. Not only does he give exhortation, the text says he does what? He gives. Much exhortation. Uh, he, I, I wonder why Dr. Luke doesn't give us more information on what that exhortation looked like. We don't know. But needless to say, Paul cared about all these churches very deeply as he goes into these communities where churches have been established. He says these words. Just You just write them down. 1 Corinthians 4.14. He says this about the Corinthians. Now, those of you who have studied the book of Corinthians might find this somewhat humorous. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Notice the terms of affection there. Galatians 4.19, my children, with whom I again labor until Christ is formed in you. My children to the Galatians, my children to my beloved children, to the Corinthians, Thessalonians. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Chapter 2, verse 11, he goes on to say, We are now exhorting and encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Paul sees these new believers as his children, as family members, as someone worthy to display the sacrificial love that he has given them. I think it's safe to say, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody loved the church more than the apostle Paul. To the Philippians, he says these words, I thank my God always in remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of the participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who had begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Did, Did you notice that kind of love? That might be a kind of letter we would write to a loved one, a family member. Paul sees them as that family member. He sees them as someone near and dear. All these churches, all these different kinds of people. Paul loves them and his goal and desire is to go and be near them and give them much encouragement. Stories told of a young boy who is Being viewed by a police officer carrying another little boy on his shoulders and all these goods and luggage and all these things are being attached to him. There had been a flood in the community. The policeman went over to help the little boy and says, son, you're, you're doing too much. You've got all these bags and you've got that boy on your shoulders. It's too much weight for you. It's too, it's too heavy for you. Little boy looked at the policeman and says, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. See, when you're serving a family member, when you're serving someone that close to you, they're not heavy, are they? Parents, you know something about that? Is it a burden to raise your children? Don't answer that. (laughs) Most of the time, it's not. It's a joy. Thank you. It's a joy to have your children. It's not a burden. to. You you probably don't come on. I got to feed you again today. Mason, you still want burgers. We don't say that, right? We don't say that. It's easier when you're carrying the weight and you love the person. Paul loves these people. Geographically, he gets around everywhere to, to simply go and encourage people. Now think about that. If God were to call you to wherever, to go and encourage someone, would you do it? Well, it's not about, it's not about you. I want you to go there and give a gift of encouragement, strengthening to them. By the way, have we seen something like that before in a man? Maybe Jesus. He comes amongst his own people who don't desire to give them something. A gift that they didn't even know that they needed, which is eternal life. He came to ransom their souls. He came to pay for their sin debt. You think that's a little encouragement? Paul understood that on the road to Damascus, that that transformation happened in him. Paul wasn't afraid to go where If you got your Bibles, go with me to 2 Corinthians 11. We've looked at this passage before. Whenever you think of Paul's ministry, you should think of these verses. Always. 2 Corinthians 11. Now, in the context, I remind you that in these communities where Paul served and planted churches, there would oftentimes be what's called super apostles that would come in and try to undo the work that he has done. Sometimes it was Judaizers would say, no, you need to observe the law. You need to do these things. Paul talks about that a lot to the to, to the Galatians. Obviously, there were other problems in Corinth. There were other problems, um, but but by and large, there were men that came in. So Paul feels the need to tell the Corinthians, to remind the Corinthians, hey, this is what my ministry looked like. Uh, let's uh, want to read it all, but but I can't. Uh, let's go to twenty-two. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, insane. I more so. Now he's going to talk about how he has labored for the Lord. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, listen to this, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers amongst false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Now you would think, Paul, that's enough, period. You don't have to say any more but he keeps talking. He keeps writing. Look at what he says. Apart from these external things. This is the part that always fascinates me when I get on my pity pat party oh, ministry so hard, David. Oh, I want to quit. They're treating you so mean. I remind myself of these words. Apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure on me concerned for all the churches. Paul's heart was heavy for all the churches. He was concerned for all the churches. By the way, churches are made up of these things called people. He's concerned about people. Philippians 1 gives us some pretty inf- pretty interesting information. I won't have you turn there. Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In that text he goes on to say I'm hard pressed between the two. Right? He says I want to go and be with the Lord but it's better for me to remain for what reason? For the benefit of of the Philippians. I want to go be with Jesus. But it's not about me. Paul says. It's better that I remain for you. Paul is committed. To surrendering himself. He does that geographically. He goes everywhere. Anywhere God. Numerically. Throughout this text. We see throughout the book of Acts. We have seen God's church grow. Paul has been a huge part of that. But does Paul take the credit? Does Paul get all the credit for it? No, because if we were to go back and look at those passages where we see great growth, what does it say about who's giving the increase? God. God opened the heart that they might believe. God was giving increase, but God is using Paul, but not just Paul. God is using these churches that he is planting to do what? Save other people. Impact the culture in a great way. So God is blessing him to be able to go geographically pretty much anywhere. I I encourage you, by the way, this afternoon, there's there's great little resources that you can go on online and find all Paul's missionary journeys kind of video mapped out. You don't have to get the old like some of our old Bibles. You go there and try to follow them little bitty lines that the older I get. Something's wrong with the print. It's not anything wrong with my eyes. Something's wrong with the print. The older I get. Uh, but you don't have to do that. You can go through and they have these nice little videos. You can go through all Paul's missionary journeys. Some would say up to 10,000 miles. He traveled. Pretty amazing. God blessed him that way. God blessed him numerically. God blessed him to serve them methodically. What, what am I talking about here methodically? What was Paul's method? He was to go into a community and encourage them. Joni e. Erickson Tata says these words. What an encouragement to realize that God has reserved you and me for a special task in his great work. In his hands, we're not only useful, but priceless. In God's hands, we're not only useful, but priceless. He has, pres- he has reserved you and me for a special task. To do what? Encourage one another. To encourage the brethren to come into a ministry, to come into this church on a Sunday morning and not just simply say, I'm here to make sure that I get my needs met. I am here to make sure the needs of another get met. It's not about me. It's about others. Paul, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews. Paul, we don't know if it's him or not. Take care, brethren. This is in uh, Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you in an evil and unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Listen to these words in verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The whole goal for Paul was to come into his method of ministry, was to come in and encourage the saints. How do we do that? A couple way paul did it paul again as he's going through these churches he is collecting funds for another how do you think those funds are received by the church in jerusalem you think they're encouraged to know all our gentile brothers and sisters of these gentile churches are serving us with their gifts so what does that teach us how about us in meeting the financial needs of others in our body how about us coming and say, Lord, who would you want me to encourage today financially or with a material blessing? God, who can I come in? Is, is, there, a, is there someone in the church that, I, that I'm aware of that that, that is being burdened by, by some kind of situation that I can come in physically and be able to encourage them? Do we even pray about that kind of stuff? Like, Lord, play, lay someone on my heart that I can go and be a blessing to. Think about that today. Think about it as you look at around this room or people you know in this church that are maybe struggling. Man, you know, how, how can I bless them today? I know they're not asking, but God, how can I bless them? How can I make a material need go away? Second, what does it look like to really visit with one another? What does it really look like to sit? Don't you ever talk to a person and look them in the eye? No, I don't do that either. Most of us don't do that, do we? We don't take the time to sit down and look someone intently in the eye and ask them, Becky, how are you doing? How are you doing? And you wait for the answer. And whatever comes out of her mouth, prayerfully, she's transparent. David, David I'm struggling today. My sister, how, how can I serve you? Can, can I pray with you? And I take the time. I have the privilege to look at all you as you look at me. So it's easier for me to say, man, they look like they might be going through something. I, I, I can usually tell by body language, man, they look like they're going through something. What does it look like if we all as a body are just very observant like that towards one another? We just peruse the room, just, 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 just some prayer. And Lord, Lord, I just, Lord, who, 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 Lord, who can I, who can I serve? Who can I get next to after the service? Who, who can I just talk to? Oh oh, man, And you go and get in their lives? Hey, you're a teenage young girl. How's life for you as a teenager? How's middle school? Those kinds of conversations to encourage them. I don't know about you. Anybody ever been encouraged? Let me ask this. Anybody in here not like to be encouraged? Just say, I hate being encouraged. Encouragement stinks. I'm so upset when people encourage me. None of us are going to say that because we all enjoy it. Sometimes when that word comes right at that right time and that person comes and says, brother, how you doing? And they sit and listen to you. It's transformational. Paul was committed to seeing Christian brothers and sisters as friends. He was committed to being with people all the time. We talked many times about breaking bread together, sharing a meal together, that's always very important in this culture and I think in our own and having strategic conversation. What's life like? What's going on? Number three, how could we come alongside one another and give great encouragement with that being the sole goal to expose Christ to someone? What what I mean by that is as we get next to people, are we infusing it with just life's stories? Or are we giving them Jesus? What do you think Paul talked about? Let me tell you how I made it through those three nights and man in this that night and the day. Let me tell you how I did it. You think that's what he talked about? Oh, let me tell you that, man, there's this healing salve. When I got beat 39 times, man, there's this salve. Woo. You got to get some of that salve, brother. You think that's how he encouraged people? He encouraged them with the gospel. So as we encourage people, brothers and sisters, yes, we want to listen. Yes, we want to give our material gifts, but we encourage them with Jesus. Let me help you see Jesus in this situation that you're in. Wow. So he surrendered geographically. Uh, God, God uses him greatly, numerically, methodically, and then finally missionally. Look at this group of people that are mentioned that Ruth read for us. Starting there in verse verse 4, Sopater, Aristarchus, Gaius. I don't know if you noticed all the cities that they're from. These are all Gentile cities. What kind of people did Paul use? What kind of leaders did he surround around himself? Anyone that God is going to use. Gentile leaders, and they're on mission. Paul is not concerned about the church staying in a warm, little comfortable position. And yes, you've established your little enclave. Now you guys go out and build your walls much higher, and you stay away from those dirty sinners out there. Paul understands in his own life, and his own ministry, that all these men, all these churches, they're committed to seeing the salvation and the changing of the culture around them. Paul is concerned about being missional. I know this term gets misused, in my opinion, a lot. But what I mean by being missional is simply being available, being evangelical, telling others about the gospel, putting yourself in proximity of unbelievers who may not know who Jesus is. Paul says this is the aim and goal of the church. It's not just about us. Paul wants to clearly give them an example of what it means to work for the Lord. Which means he needs to be completely surrendered from himself, devoid of anything in himself. So, number one, Paul surrendered to the work of God. Number two, Paul surrendered to the worship of God. Let's look at just a few passages here in Acts 7 through 12, 27 through 12. Number one, what do we read? On the first day of the week. So we notice, number one, that's the resurrection of the Lord. You say, wait a second, what does the first day of the week have to do with the resurrection of the Lord? Well, the church, the early church began to meet on the first day of the week because... That was the day that Jesus was resurrected. Uh, that's the reason why we worship on Sundays and don't continue the Sabbath principle or continue to worship on Saturdays. Jesus arose on a Sunday morning. So therefore, we and his early church consistently worshiped on Sunday mornings to honor him, to reflect what he had done in them, what he's doing in the world and what he one day will do. So Paul's concern is gathering together the first day of the week. That ought to be our concern. Now, I I make some pretty bold statements when it comes to the church. I love the church. I only love the church because Jesus loves the church. I think church and church attendance being around God's people ought to be the most important thing in your life. I think service to God, totally surrender to him ought to be the most important thing to your life. And I have seen people make commitments here that I have never seen where this is your life. Well, the church is very important to how you live. It, it is important to the, the, the things that are happening here that you be a part of it. That is humbling for me to see. I come from backgrounds where it's really seen as very optional at times. Eh, I don't want to feel like being around those people today. That is not many of your stories. You are concerned about being together. You're concerned about being in attendance with one another, that you want to stimulate one another to good deeds. Second piece we see in this as they get together, the table of the Lord. On the first day of the week, when we gather together to do what? Break bread. We haven't seen this reference since Acts two forty two, When we saw that they were there breaking bread, we believe that this is observing the Lord's Supper. Paul is concerned about not just coming together on a Sunday, but we come together and break bread in a very reverential way. We come together and seek to understand Christ's commandment to do what? Remember me. Reflect upon my body and blood in communion. I pray that uh, that first Sunday of the month is a highlight for you. Being able to fellowship with our Savior and reflect upon his body, but not just a vertical relationship, but also the horizontal one, where we are united in a very, very special way. So he surrendered in his worship of God and his reflection uh, of the resurrection, that first day of the week, the table of the Lord breaking bread, and then finally the word of the Lord. Look at these elements that we find here. They're meeting together the first day of the week. They're observing the sacraments for us as uh, BFCers and New Testament Christians. We, we observe two sacraments, communion and baptism. And the third piece of this, which is important, is what? Paul began talking to them. But what's he talking about? He is explaining to them the word of God. Now, pause here for a second because I need you to hear me here. I've consistently said in this book that there are sections that are prescriptive and sections that are descriptive, right? There are sections that are saying this is what should happen or it's describing what has happened. This is one of the sections that's describing what should happen. Just kidding, it's not. But I want it to. Well, why do I say that? Let's keep reading. Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. He prolonged his message until midnight. So why do you think I would want that to be prescriptive? That means we get to stay here to midnight and talk about the word of God. Oh, gee, you guys are encouraging. No, it's not prescriptive. He's leaving the next day. So he has a lot of information that he wants to give them, but he is concerned about the word of God. He is concerned about teaching. Brothers, sisters, we could strip everything away. We could take these pews out of here. The worship team, uh, the instruments could all go away. But there's two things in this church that should never go away. The sacraments and the word of God. The sacraments and the word of God must always remain. That's what it means to be in a church. That's what it means to be focused as a church. The sacraments and the word of God. There were many in verse 8. Lamps in the upper room We were gathered together. Eutychus. By the way, his name means fortunate. Uh, doesn't seem like he is very fortunate as he falls out of this window. He's sinking into a deep sleep. Now, I've got to think in my sanctified imagination, Paul wasn't a bad teacher, and he wasn't boring. So what's up with this sinful man? He's not sinful. He obviously is a young boy. Luke, who is a doctor, should give us more information on why. Like, like I wanted to say there was some kind of medicinal Something in the lamp that caused him to sleep or something. Luke doesn't do that, right? It's probably been a long day, and the man's tired. I, I, I don't know about you. I once was part of an all-night prayer meeting, and I, I, I wanted to do it, by the way. I was like, hey, guys, let's have an all-night prayer meeting. And we were all praying. At least we were all supposed to be praying. But I found myself around 2.30 in a deep sleep. And I woke up, and these guys are kind of laughing at me, sleeping, as, you know, because you get tired. This man is tired. He's overcome by sleep. He fell down from the third floor. They picked him up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled for his life is back in him. Lucky doesn't again seem very lucky, but lucky is lucky in the fact that the apostle Paul, by the power of the living God, is able to do something that Elijah and Elisha did in first Kings 17 and second Kings four. He's able to raise this young man from the dead. What does he do? He embraces him. He lies On him and raises this man. Do not be troubled. His life is in him. It seems very casual way that Luke describes this miracle. But what notice what Paul doesn't do? Paul doesn't spend time talking about the miracle, does he? Luke doesn't spend any time talking about the miracle. Because we would think, okay, this guy's been raised from the dead, he needs to write a book. He needs to write, you know, twenty three minutes in wherever. He needs to talk about his experience. We need to get, where did you, did you see the white light? Did you go towards the light? It's not what Paul does. Matter of fact, what is Paul's focus? Do not be troubled, his life is in him. When he had gone back up, he broke bread and eaten. And then what does Paul begin to do again? He keeps preaching. He keeps talking. Matter of fact, what does it say? He talked with them a long while until daybreak. Paul spent all night explaining, talking about the word of God. He is not concerned with anything else. Luke doesn't seem to be concerned about the miracle itself. By the way, in the book of Acts, we've seen many miracles. A lot of people have been raised from the dead. There have been a lot of things, different things happening. By the way, the miracle only points to the word of God. We don't focus on the miracle. We focus on who the miracle points to. It's never about the miracle. It's about who the miracle gives glory to, who it gives honor to. Paul understands that what these people need is the word of God. By the way, brothers and sisters, we don't need more miracles. We need the word of God to be understood and taught. We're always praying for miracles. Miracle, God, show yourself. God has shown himself strong through his word. This is what we need. We've got everything that we need right here in this book. We don't need miracles all the time. All right, How so what kind of commitment do you think Paul had to preach all night? He was committed. He's going to teach all night. Paul is committed. Now, let's think about the other side. What about his listeners? What kind of commitment do you think they displayed? I want to give you seven points that I think we should be able to follow. We'll get through these really, really quickly. Number one, listen to the word humbly. I think they listened to the word with humility. They were thankful to have the Apostle Paul teaching them. I wonder at times, are we thankful that we have the word of God in our language? In multiple, we've got electronic devices, at least on mine, I could pull up. Uh, I think there's probably 25 different translations you can get. Easily accessible. We were talking this morning with a, with, a, with a brother. I've got the NLT. One's got the ESV, NASV, KJV, plethora of others. We ought to be thankful. We're humbled that God has given it to us in abundance in our language, in our in, in our world today. We ought to be thankful for that. Ought to create a humility in us. We ought to be also humble, brothers and sisters, that we can understand God's word. A natural man second Corinthians 2 natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit they're spiritually discerned only the spiritual man can why have we gotten spiritualized to be able to see because God has willed it so number 2 listen to the word reverently do we honor it as the word of god second Timothy 3 16 and 17 this book is considered to be what god breathed it's inspired by god it's profitable Teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The person of God may be well equipped for what? Every good work. It's the word of God that we've got in our hands. Number three. We listen to the word dependably. Are we dependent upon it? Throughout the scriptures, the psalmist in Psalm 19 said, this, this is my food. This, this is what I desire. The word of God. Is that where our hearts are? Are we dependent upon the word? Do you come in this morning? God, I need your word. Number four. Listen to the words gratefully. God, I'm so grateful that you have given us an understanding of your word and the truths found in it. Thank you, God. I'm grateful for it. I don't know about you. Has this book changed your life? This book has radically changed my thinking, man. I've got to do stuff that I never thought I could do. i got to love all y'all. <laughs> and you got to love me, too. Isn't that amazing that I'm called to love the unlovable and I am given by his power the ability to do it? This book tells me that. It tells me I should treat my wife. It tells me I should treat my children. It gives me the instructions for life. What a wonderful privilege that is. What if I had to lean on my own understanding? I think we see that in our world today. We, look, we listen to the word gratefully. Number five, listen to the word patiently. By the way, be patient with the Bible in your own life. I, I You guys know I, I meet the strangest people. I, I, had, I met a man who was a pastor, and he said, man, I'm standing on the promises of God. Now, what do you think he did next? He took his Bible, put it on the ground, and stood on it. And I said, dude, really? I tried not to laugh in front of him. That's not how we learn the Bible, by the way. Just, just again, if you're doing that, do you go home? That's that's not what we do. Be patient with the Bibles that works in your life. Do we all have it figured out? Anybody checked off all these promises and got them all figured out? Bueller, Bueller. None of us have it all figured. So, not only be patient with yourself, be patient with others. Just like you don't have it all figured out, don't expect others to have it all figured out. Be patient with them. Number six. Listen to the word expectantly. What do I mean by that? Do you expect God to speak to you through his word? I don't mean in some kind of weird way where you're going to get an extra word, but do you ever come into a church and say, how did that pastor know I was going through that and it spoke to me? Do do we have that expectation all the time? God, speak to me through your word. Expectantly. God, I I want to hear from you this morning. I want to hear from your word. You look at a passage and say, "No, that's exactly what I need." Last but not least. listen to the word communally. The Bible was written for you, not to you. What's that mean? Paul is writing to churches when he's writing to Galatia and Thessalonica. It's applicable to us individually, but he is writing to a community of believers. Do we think about it that way? Do we think about the Bible being necessary for a group of people, for a church? Because we often think about, well, this is what this verse means to, to me. It wasn't written to you. It was written for you, but it wasn't written to you. It was written to a church wherever in a certain context. And we try to understand that context in a more communal way, as opposed to just the individualistic, individualistic aspect of ministry. Or receiving scripture. And that seems to be the mantra of our day. What's about me? I got something. No, what is, in the churches of Revelation, what does John say to those churches? This is what the Spirit says to the churches, the groups of people. What is the Spirit saying to Bethel? Seriously, do you ever ask yourself that question? God, what are you saying to Bethel? What are you doing at this juncture to Bethel church? challenges we've had over the past few months. Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying to us? What are you saying to me in the midst of this body? Look at the Bible. Listen to the Bible communally. So in this section of Scripture, brothers and sisters, what do we find? We find the Apostle Paul: surrender to the work of God, surrender to the worship of God. Can I ask you one question as we leave and depart? What do you surrender to? What do you surrender to? If others were to speak of you, would they say that brother, that sister is surrendered to the work of God? That brother, that sister, that church is surrendered to the worship of God. They have abandoned themselves. It's all about who they serve. We as leaders, elders in this room, pastors in this room, are we committed to the work of God and to the worship of God? Serving him with everything. Worshiping him him with reckless abandon. God, wherever you call me, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Is that us? By God's grace, I pray that if it's not, it will be. For his glory and for his name's sake. Let's pray together. Father, would you... Lord, that first we looked at in Acts 20, verse 24. Would we not count our lives as dear to ourselves? Would we seek to please the one who purchased us with his own blood, the sinless son of God? Lord, we not just quote verses. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life I now live. I live live in the flesh, I, I live for another. Could we really own that verse? Lord, would we really truly be abandoned from me, all of us, collectively as a church family, for your glory and for your namesake. Lord, I thank you that your spirit reminds us of these things and challenges us in these areas. Thank you that the Apostle Paul has left a shining example for us. Father, we love you today. We pray that we would be able to love one another the way Paul has loved these churches. Help us to see that and help us to have that burden for the others in this body. We love you this morning, Father. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. If we can stand together, please. with us today thank you uh, for using your gifts this morning those of you who have served as teachers or nursery workers or whatever god has used you for thank you thank you for coming and being with us we pray that the lord jesus christ was evident in this place i want to leave you with a parting blessing a benediction i know that doesn't happen in a lot of churches much anymore but i want to read it for you from god's inspired word peace be to the brethren And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Brothers and sisters, go in peace and the joy of the Lord.